What is going on, sports fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast, Season 3, Episode 3. We are back with another episode. I wanted to wait to release an episode till after the NFL Draft, so that's why we're doing a big episode on this Monday, May 3rd, 2021. We got a lot to talk about the NFL Draft. I went to Day 2 of the NFL Draft. I'll tell you about how that experience was, and also talk to you about the draft as a whole, which teams won, which teams lost, and how did the Browns do? We'll get to that. Also, NBA. This season is coming to an end in the NBA. The playoffs are right around the corner, and LeBron is back for the Lakers, but the Lakers right now are on the outside looking in in the playoff picture. We'll talk about the play-in tournament, which teams are in good playoff position, and more, and the MLB. We are about 25 games into the MLB season, and there is a lot to talk about in Major League Baseball as well. So we'll get to all that and more, but first, this episode, as always, is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast, creation tools, editing tools, all that for free. Go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started on your very own podcast today. Today is Monday, May 3rd. Let's go. Hello sports fans and welcome in to Season 3, Episode 3 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I'm your host with the most, the man, the myth, the legend, Jack Bernie himself. Alright, let's start with the NFL Draft because on Friday I actually did go to Round 2 of the NFL Draft at First Energy Stadium and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in downtown Cleveland. I was in the draft experience so I got to go on the field, uh... I got to throw, I, I threw a NFL football in the Brown Stadium field. That's pretty cool. I met up with some friends, went with my dad. It was a pretty fun time. I, so uh, there was this Hail Mary part. So I, I chose, we, I got to choose between kicking a field goal at First Energy Stadium or throwing a Hail Mary into one of the nets. I chose the Hail Mary one. I missed barely the first, I missed, ba- I missed by a little bit the first throw and then I missed barely on the second throw. I had the distance. I just, couldn't get it into the net. Those quarterbacks in the NFL make it look a lot easier than it actually is. There's also some other cool things at the draft experience. Just look, seeing the draft stage was pretty cool. It was like a really big stage set up downtown and seeing all the fans there. It was really nice to see fans back at a sporting event after a year without fans pretty much. And what, what else did I get to do? I got to take a picture by the Lombardi Trophy. The Vince Lombardi Trophy was in Cleveland. Hopefully it stays in Cleveland. And I also got to see the AFC and NFC Championship trophies, fifty all 54 Super Bowl rings. So the only Super Bowl ring they didn't have was Tampa Bay. But it was pretty cool to see the evolution of the Super Bowl rings uh, and how ridiculously big the New England Patriots' fifth and sixth Super Bowl rings were. They were like... They're bigger than some cell phones that I've seen, like literally. And like the, the, the first Super Bowl rings, like the Packers and the early Super Bowls, like the Chiefs, they're really small. But then you look at the Chiefs, the Patriots, the the Eagles, the ones that happened recently, they were huge. And it was really cool to see the evolution of the Super Bowl rings. We also got I also got to watch some people run the 40-yard dash. Uh, that was pretty fun. I, I, I would have run the 40-yard dash, but the line was was too long and also just hearing the picks and every, all the Browns fans got really excited and it was just a really good experience and a shout out to the NFL and the city of the city of Cleveland for a great draft. Now, that was the draft experience. Let's talk about the draft itself. So, we'll start, we'll go how about we go team by team, give them a grade. 
and we'll we'll tell you who they picked and who, who I think their best best picks were. Starting in the desert, the Arizona Cardinals, they had a first round pick and a second round pick, two sixth round, two seventh rounds, and a fourth round pick. Now their two best picks were their first two picks. They picked linebacker Zaven Collins out of Tulsa in the first round. And in the second round, they picked Rondale Moore, a receiver out of Purdue. I've had the pleasure of watching Rondale Moore play against Ohio State, and he is really an electric player. So Collins, Zayvon Collins is their best draft pick in the first round. Six foot five, two seventy pound linebacker. Uh, he was he's a great co- coverage linebacker too. Ninety three point six coverage grade from Pro Football Focus. He's a versatile defender, and he's going to be a very interesting looking defensive player in Arizona because they also have that very uh, Isaiah Simmons from Clemson last year who they drafted. They have two of the most versatile defenders in the NFL, and that'll be very interesting to see how Arizona uses them in that package. So then they took Rondale Moore. The receiver out of Purdue, uh, he is very good. He's a dynamic playmaker. He is a he's a slot receiver. He's pretty short. He's only five seven. <coughs> Excuse me there, but um, he is one of the most versatile players in the NFL. One of the most um, he's a really fast play athletic playmaker. And he should fit in well with this Arizona offense, which has DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. And it will allow Arizona to run RPOs, uh, uh, run pass options with Kyler Murray, and allow uh, Rondale Moore to be the featured guy in uh, screen in uh, yeah, screen passes. They also brought in A.J. Green in free agency. So they have A.J. Green, Rondale Moore, and DeAndre Hopkins. That's a great receiving trio and Rondell Moore also fits forced 37 missed tackles after the catch in his uh, only healthy season at Purdue in 2018 so he's also dynamic with the ball in space and day three they uh, Arizona drafted a, a an edge rusher two cornerbacks a safety and a center and Tay Gowen the cornerback from UCF he was a top 10 cornerback prospect and a top 75 overall player on the big board. So he's good value in the fourth round. With that being said, my overall grade for Arizona is a B-. minus. I think they did a good job, and I think it was just a pretty average draft for Arizona. Let's go to Atlanta at the Atlanta Falcons. They made some noise in this draft. They obviously took Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida, with the first pick in the fourth round, pairing him with Julio Jones. That's a big pick. And their second round pick was Richie Grant, a safety from UCF. So the Falcons went non-quarterback. They took tight end Kyle Pitts. He's going to be faster than any linebacker or safety that they uh, that they put on him, and he's going to be bigger than any cornerback. He's a matchup nightmare. He uh, in college he was really fun to watch at Florida. He is one of the best ca- pass catchers that the draft has seen in a while. And pairing him opposite Julio Jones is going to open this Atlanta Falcons offense up for so many possibilities because the defense is going to have to choose. Do we want to double Julio Jones or do we want to double uh, uh, Kyle Pitts? And that's kind of a lose-lose situation for the defense. But I think it was a great pick by the Falcons there. Day two, they took Richie Grant. Uh, He was a top five safety in the draft. He's a great run defender. And he is a he was great in one-on-one drills at the Senior Bowl. He's going to be an all-around player. He's a great pick, too. They also added some value in the late rounds as well. That's why the Atlanta Falcons get a draft grade of B from me. Let's go to the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC North Division. I think the Ravens did a really good job in this draft. They started in round one. They had two picks in round one. They took Rashad Bateman, the receiver out of Minnesota, and an edge rusher, 
Odafe away from Penn State. And they also took All-American Sean Wade from Ohio State, the cornerback, in the fifth round. Rashad Bateman is another weapon for Lamar Jackson. He is an incredibly high floor and a high ceiling. And I think it was a great pick by the by the Ravens. He's a great route running receiver. He was a productive receiver in the slot in 2019. Uh, he recorded 3.6 yards per route run in 2019. The fifth highest marked by a power five receiver. And I think he'll be the wide receiver one for Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. The other guy they took in the first round away, he's a freak athlete. 6'5", 257 pounds, 40-inch vertical, 4.39 40-yard dash as an edge rusher. He is really, really good. His pass rush move arsenal needs to be improved, and his rushes tend to die on contact. He produced just 10 pressures in the six games in 2020 for Penn State, but he's only he just scratched the surface of his potential in college. That's why he's a first-round pick. The Ravens, they also drafted Sean Wade. He would have certainly been a day-two pick if he opted out in 2020. He's a great slot corner. He's got a great body. Uh, he is going to be a safety slot corner and not the outside corner many thought he would be, but he's going to be good value for Baltimore, and that's why the Ravens get a B-plus from me. Let's go to the Buffalo Bills. They circled the wagons in this draft. They took an edge rusher in rounds one and two, Gregory Rousseau from Miami, the U, Florida, and Carlos Basham Jr. from Wake Forest. So they went ACC. Rousseau, the guy they took from Miami, Florida, six foot seven, 34.75 inch arms. He opted out of the 2020 season, but he is a great pass rusher. He he earned a 85.1 pass rushing grade from outside of the tackle in 2019 when he rushed from the interior. So he's a great, great pick. And then Boschman, the other guy, he is, uh, he's got potent power, monstrous power, and he can tear through pass blockers. His consistency has been lacking, but he had the tools of a first-round pick. He slided to 61. He is elite. They, they drafted two elite edge rushers. The Bills get a B from me. Let's go to Carolina, the Carolina Panthers. I wanted Carolina to take a quarterback, but they did not. They decided to stand pat with Sam Darnold, and they went corner in round one with J.C. Horn from South Carolina, and they took a wide receiver, Terrence Marshall Jr. from LSU in round two. Horn was the first defensive player selected in the 2021 NFL Draft. He was uh, His dad played in the NFL. He's an elite press coverage quarterback. He's physical. He's likely to play the QB1 in Carolina. He just needs to get better at... He just needs to fit into the Panthers' scheme better. His he, He's a press co- coverage corner, which I mentioned, but that doesn't fit with the Panthers' scheme, who like to play their cornerbacks in off positions. So that's something J.C. Horn will have to work on. And then the Mar- Marshall, the receiver they took in round two, he slid in the draft because of his medical concerns, but on the field he's a first-round talent. Uh, he generated an NFL perfect passer rating at 158.3 when targeted since 2019 at LSU. He has the potential to be a true number one in the NFL. The Panthers get a B- minus from me because I don't think their late-round picks kind of hit hit a home run like their early-round picks did. Then here comes my first A-plus of the draft period, the Chicago Bears. They traded up to number 11 in the NFL draft and selected Justin Fields, the quarterback, out of the Ohio State University. And they also took Taven Jenkins, a tackle from Oklahoma State. 
The Bears are back, ladies and gentlemen. They underwhelmed fans when they settled for Andy Dalton earlier in the offseason, but they made an aggressive move for Justin Fields, who I thought was the third best player in this draft. Special talent, back-to-back seasons with a 91-plus PFF grade. His ceiling is higher than any passer in the draft, and he can also be a threat in the run game. He's an all-around quarterback, and he is destined to become the Bears franchise quarterback and break the Ohio State quarterback dry spell in the NFL. A-plus for the Bears. They also took a tackle to Van Jenkins to protect Justin Fields. Uh, He's one of the best run blockers in the draft. He also pass-blocked well, but had an extremely limited number of true pass-blocking plays to judge from, but he will develop well. Justin Fields makes this Bears draft an A-plus, and I'm excited to see what Fields does in Chicago. Let's go to my second A-plus draft no, not yet, not yet. We Before we get to our second A-plus draft, we got to go to the Cincinnati Bengals, who, with their first pick, did not take Panay Sewell from Oregon, the big tackle to protect Joe Burrow. They uh, reunited LS, former LSU receiver Jamar Chase with his former quarterback Joe Burrow in the first round, and they took an offensive tackle Jackson Carmen from Clemson in round two. The Bengals bring in Jamar Chase, returning him with Joe Burrow. Chase dominated that season he played with Burrow. 20 touchdowns he caught from Joe Burrow in that 2019 season. Cincinnati passes on the offensive linemen. They bolster their receiving courts that that lacked a a contested catch monster. They now have one in Jamar Chase. And they also got Carmen, the offensive lineman. He can play tackle or guard. He doesn't have the talent. He raises the talent level of the group regardless of what position he plays. He's got size and athleticism and was playing his best football for Clemson toward the end of the 2020 season. The Bengals get a beat. That brings me to my second A-plus of the draft, the Cleveland Browns and Andrew Berry. Congratulations to Andrew Berry. Him and his wife just had a baby on draft day. Give them a hand. They just had a baby on draft day. Congratulations to Andrew and his wife, Brittany Berry, for welcoming in their third child on the day of the draft. But that did not stop Andrew Berry from giving the Browns an A-plus draft and vaulting the Browns into Super Bowl contention. If you haven't been paying attention to the Cleveland Browns, now it's time to start. Because this draft legitimately made the Browns go from contenders for the AFC Championship to contenders for the Lombardi Trophy. And this draft made me think that the Lombardi Trophy, which I took a picture next to, in downtown Cleveland could stay in downtown Cleveland come February. Let's take a look at the Browns draft. Round one, they took Greg Newsom, the second at cornerback out of Northwestern. And in round two, they took probably the player I'm most excited to watch for the Browns, Jeremiah Owuso-Koromoa, J-O-K, I'll call him, from Notre Dame. They also took a speedy 4-2-5 receiver in round three, Anthony Schwartz. And another guy you should circle for the Browns, who's going to be an immediate impact on the defensive line, is Tommy Togier from Ohio State, the defensive lineman. Let's start with Greg Newsom. The Browns are one of the NFL's smartest teams, and how could they not be? With an Ivy League front office of Andrew Berry, Kevin Stefanski, and Paul D. Podesta, they attacked one of the most valuable valuable positions in the game in round one, taking Greg Newsom the second from Northwestern. He's a very good progress, and he's incredible value at number 26. He was battle-tested on a small sample of snaps in 2020. Northwestern only played eight or so games. 34 targets through his first four games. He held his own, allowing 93 yards all season, five first downs, and making eight plays in the ball. His feet, his footwork among defensive players are the best in the class. He's going to be playing off coverage 
or on press man for the Browns. He's going to make plays for the Browns, and he's an excellent pick to put opposite Denzel Ward. And let's get to JOK. JOK, he is a, he's another smart pick by the Browns. Many people had him, the Browns taking him at 26, and the Browns traded up to take him at 52. That's incredible, incredible value. It's not easy to point where he's going to play in the NFL, but he's talented enough to contribute somewhere. The Notre Dame product is an off-ball linebacker who also played safety and, and covered slot corners at Notre Dame, and he looked good in that role. He's an explosive athlete who can fill multiple roles for Cleveland defensively, and PFF, Pro Football Focus, had him as a top 20 player, and the Browns got him at 52. And the other, the next best pick by the Browns was Tommy Togie from Ohio State. It's highway robbery. He's a day two pick. He should have been picked in the round two or three, and he got picked in the fifth round. He's a powerful bull rush and can be a forceful three technique. He posted an 87.8 run defense grade and a 77 pass rush grade for the Buckeyes in 2020. The Browns get an A+, and they are immediately Super Bowl contenders. Let's go to the Cowboys. I like their first pick for the Cowboys. They took Micah Parsons, a linebacker out of Penn State. Then they took the cornerback Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky. Uh, Micah Parsons addresses a need on defense. Uh, Parsons is a... is very good. He's the best linebacker prospect that I've seen in years, and he will provide versatility to the Cowboys' defense and be a great linebacker to pair with Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch. Leighton Vander Esch. And they also took the cornerback Joseph from Kentucky. He's elite speed. He uh, there is there are some questions about his consistency, but he will definitely help that Cowboys' pass defense. The Cowboys get a B from me. Denver Broncos get an A minus. They did a good job. They took cornerback Patrick Certain the second from Alabama in round one, and Javante Williams, the running back from North Carolina in round two. Certain was a curious pick, but he is a very good player. He's an elite technical player at every facet of the cornerback position. He's a complete player. The Broncos made a good pick there. They also took the number one running back, in my opinion, in this draft from North Carolina. He is very good. They traded up, but he's a tackle-breaking machine, blowing through 76 tackles last season. Broncos get an A-. Detroit Lions and John Dorsey get an A minus simply because they took a future Hall of Famer, in my opinion, in Penny Sewell. He's a hyper athletic tackle who gobbles up pass rushers. His 95.8 PFF grade in 2019 is even more impressive because he was only 19 years old at the time. He's going to be a Lions tackle for the next decade. The Lions get an A minus. The Packers get a C minus. Rumors swirling around about Aaron Rodgers. We'll get to that in part two of the episode. The best pick, in my opinion, for. The Packers was Amari Rodgers. The Clemson wide receiver was the 120th player on the big board. He's very explosive. He's got good route running. He's a bubble screen, jet sweep, and deep post runner. So the Packers need to develop him into more well-rounded game. But the Packers went defense in the first round, and they haven't picked a defensive player since Aaron Rodgers has been their quarterback. They get a C-minus from me. Texans get a C-minus as well. They didn't have a pick till the third round. They did take a quarterback from Stanford, Davis Mills. Uh, he's a former five-star recruit. He's six foot seven. He doesn't bring much mobility or experience, but it'll be interesting to see how that decision uh, will affect Houston's ability maybe to, to trade Deshaun Watson or to draft a quarterback next year in 2022. The Colts get a C-plus from me. No big signings from them. They did take Quiddy Pay, an edge rusher from Michigan, 
with the 21st pick. Uh, he's a physically gifted guy, 77.8 pass rush grade. He, with the right coaching, he could become a dominant player in the NFL. They also did take a quarterback, Sam Ellinger, four-year starter. Uh, other than that, he's, his pocket presence and arm both stood out as barriers to becoming a viable option in the NFL. He's going to be a good backup, though. The Jaguars get an B-plus from me. They obviously hit a slam dunk with Trevor Lawrence in the first round. No-brainer slam dunk, number one pick Trevor Lawrence. He is going to be a home run by landing Lawrence. But they also struck out in their second first-round pick by taking Travis Etienne. Uh, unlike Najee Harris, who the Steelers took, Etienne is an explosive explosive play waiting to happen. He racked up 37 runs that resulted in a gain of 25-plus yards. He has also greatly improved as a receiver, but he won't generate the value of a first-round pick. And let's be honest, no running back will. So that's kind of why the, the Jaguars get a B-plus for me. But overall, good job by Urban Meyer. Kansas City Chiefs, I'm going to give them a B-minus. Uh, they took a linebacker in round two, Nick Bolton from Missouri. He isn't the athlete some of the other linebackers are, but he has in exceptional instincts and can make tackles that stick. The Chiefs get a B. The Las Vegas Raiders get a C. Their best pick was their tackle, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. But they 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 took care of their most their glaring need at right tackle with Leatherwood, but he was the number nine ranked tackle and had major issues in pass protection. Raiders get a C. The Chargers get an A plus for me. My third A plus. They took a tackle Rashawn Slater in the first round to protect their quarterback of the future. Justin Herbert. They took a cornerback in the second round, Asante Samuel Jr., and they took a receiver and a tight end in round three to give Justin Herbert more weapons. Rashawn Slater, I think, was the number one offensive tackle on the boards. He had outstanding performances against Chase Young at Northwestern. He allowed only five total pressures in 2019. He opted out of the 2020 season. He will do a good job protecting Justin Herbert. And Asante Samuel Jr., uh, an incompletion rate above 20% of over the course of his career at Florida State. And the other guys they took, they took uh, Palmer, the receiver from Tennessee. He's an immediate, immediate deep threat player. He's a legitimate third option between Keenan Allen and Mike Williams in this offense. And I give the Chargers an A+. The Rams get a D from me. They didn't do a good job in my opinion. They didn't have a pick in round one. And that's because uh, their coach, Sean McVay, continues to trade away their picks. They did take Tutu Atwell, a receiver from Louisville. Uh, he is an explosive player. He raised eyebrows by weighing in at the medical combine at 149 pounds, which would make him one of the lightest receivers ever in the NFL. His route tree was extremely limited, but his playmaking ability is very good out of Louisville. They still get a D from me because their other picks did not hit, in my opinion. The Dolphins get a B from me. They took Jalen Waddle in the first round and paired him with his old college teammate, uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Waddle is a, an explosive player. He's got pass-catching experience. He's an explosive play waiting to happen, whether it's on a bubble screen or a post route. Elite burner receiver and rounds out the Dolphins' receiving cores. The Dolphins get a B-plus from me. The Vikings, I'll give them a B. They took quarterback Kellen Mond in the third round and they also took a tackle Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech. They traded back from 14 to take Derisaw, a massive win for Minnesota. Derisaw is a fresh off a season in which he recorded the second best single season PFF grade by a power five offensive tackle. 
Uh, he's got power plays and the physicality that the NFL demands. Kellen Mond is an interesting pick. He's the more, one of the more experienced picks in the draft. One of the more experienced quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, he he has some athleticism and a decent arm, but it didn't lead to many high-end plays on his tape. He's an upgrade over Minnesota's current backup quarterback, and he will sit behind Kirk Cousins. The Vikings get a B plus. Patriots get an A+. Their first two picks alone. Mac Jones. The narrative surrounding Mac Jones, the quarterback from Alabama who the Patriots took in round one, was that he was worth not just the number three overall pick, but the three first-round selections the 49ers invested in the draft slot. At number 15 overall, it's an entirely different uh, talking point. He led the nation last season, and uh, with, uh, he was the most accurate quarterback in completion percentage, 84.2%. It's an outstanding pick, and Mac Jones, I would like to see what he does in Bill Belichick's offense. And their second pick was excellent as well. Christian Barmore is the best interior defender in the draft, and he should have been a first-round pick. I had him as the number 12 overall player on my big board. He is just really good, a consistent high-level pass rusher from the interior. Patriots get an A+. The Saints get a D. Uh, the, their best pick, in my opinion, was Pete Werner, the linebacker from Ohio State. He possesses a linebacker skill set, 240-plus pound frame. He doesn't have elite, elite athleticism, quickness, or fluidity, and that's why he's just a solid pick, and that's why the Saints get a D. The Giants get a B- minus from me. They took a receiver, Kadarius Toney, from Florida in the first round. He's still learning to play to see receiver, but he's a great, great pick. A tackle-breaking machine, and he was a primarily a slot receiver in college, but he has the size to develop into more than that at the next level. The Jets get an A from me. They took their quarterback of the future in the first round, Zach Wilson, with the second pick. They took an interior offensive lineman, Alahia Vera, Vera Tucker, from USC in the, uh, with the 14th pick. And they took wide receiver running back in their next two picks with Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss, the receiver, and Michael Carter, the running back in North Carolina. They surrounded Zach Wilson with weapons. He had a breakout campaign. Uh, he is a 95.4 PFF grade. Great pick there. They also made a great pick by taking Vera Tucker. Uh, 89.2 pass blocking grade. He could potentially play right tackle for the Jets. And then Elijah Moore, 22nd player on the big board heading into the draft. Prototypical super slot receiver. And excellent, excellent draft by the Jets. They get an A. The Eagles get a C from me. It's, their best pick was Devontae Smith in the first round, the Heisman Trophy winner. 23 touchdowns last season. He can play out wide or in the slot, and he gives Jalen Hurts some more options. The Pittsburgh Steelers get a C from me. They took a running back in the first round, which I think is a no-no. Uh, Najee Harris in round one is a, is a reach. He isn't much of a breakaway threat, but he does bring value as a pass catcher. He is... He just dropped, he dropped just two passes in 2019, since 2019, excuse me. But other than that, the Steelers didn't make that great of picks. 49ers get a B. Uh, I like the two picks they made of quarterback Trey Lance from North Dakota State and running back Trey Sermon. Uh, Lance is their quarterback of the future. He In one full season, uh, he didn't throw a single interception on 288 passing attempts. He's got a live arm, and he has explosive running ability. Trey Sermon could be the best running back in this draft class. He doesn't have elite speed, but he breaks tackle and has tremendous balance. Great, great pick there by San Francisco. They get a B. 
Coming down to the wire, Seattle Seahawks, they get a C. They only made three picks on the whole draft. Don't even have to talk about them. The Buccaneers, they get a B-. minus. They took an edge rusher, Joe Tyron from Washington with the 32nd pick, and it took their quarterback, Kyle Trask, one of the more intriguing quarterbacks in the draft. The Buccaneers get a B-. minus. Tennessee Titans, again, an A from me. They took Caleb Farley, a cornerback from Virginia Tech in the first round. They took an offensive tackle from North Dakota State in the second round. Washington football team, the last team, they get an A-. I really like their first round pick. Jamin Davis from Kentucky. He's going to be a starter in the NFL. Phenomenal, phenomenal numbers. And he's got the talent to be great in the NFL. That's our draft recap. When we come back, NBA talk, MLB talk, and much, much more. Don't go anywhere. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 3 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Let's talk about the NBA and then end our episode talking about the MLB and giving our joke goat of the week. Let's talk about the NBA and specifically the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James. So the NBA playoff picture. Uh, Lakers, Mavericks, and Blazers are all tied with the play-in series looming. The Lakers might eventually be fine, but for now, the expectation that LeBron and Anthony Davis were going to come back and everything was magically going to return to normal isn't happening. On Sunday, the Lakers lost their second straight game since LBJ's return, 121-114 to the Raptors, and they dropped into a three-way tie with the Mavericks and Trailblazers. By way of the fourth multi-way tiebreakers, the Lakers for now are clinging to the number six seed with Dallas at number five and Portland at number seven. A quick reminder on why that's important that the Lakers are six and tied for seven technically. In the NBA's new play-in format, the top six seed in each conference are in the playoffs, with the final two seeds up for grabs via the new play-in tournament. In each conference, number seven will play number eight with the higher seed having to win one game while the lower seed would have to win two. The winner of that 7 versus 8 series gets the 7 spot, with the loser awaiting the winner of the 9 versus 10 play-in series to decide the number 8 seed. Here is what the playoff picture currently looks like and who is projected to get into the playoffs. The Phoenix Suns are the first seed in the Western Conference, and that's a testament to Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and their GM, James Jones. The Suns beat the Thunder on Sunday night to match Utah's 46-18 record, and they own the tiebreaker. So Phoenix is the number one overall seed. What a job by Phoenix. The magic number for Phoenix to clinch the number one seed is eight. I think they'll be the number two seed. I think the Jazz will get the number one seed. The Jazz have already clinched the top four seed, and they do not control their own destiny, but I think they get that top spot. And how about Denver? Just a quick round of applause to the Denver Nuggets because they are number three in the Western Conference right now and Jamal Murray went down with an ACL injury. And Nikola Jokic since then, the MVP of the league, by the way, Nikola Jokic, he should be. Shouldn't even be a question. Nikola Jokic has led the Denver Nuggets to a 9-1 record without Jamal Murray and they are now the number three seed. I think they will be a number four seed when it all comes to when, all, when it's all said and done, because they do have the 11th ranked strength of remaining schedule. But sh- that's a testament to Nikola Jokic and how great he has been for the Nuggets this season. Number four, we got the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers, are, uh, they they fell to the Nuggets on Sunday. They're the number four seed, but they clinched at least a spot in the play-in tournament. And they need one win to clinch a spot in the playoff. And I'm not concerned with the Clippers at all with Kawhi and Paul George. The Mavericks. Luka Magic has been amazing. Uh, the Mavericks lost on Sunday, but they still are in the number five seed. Three-way tie with the Lakers and the Blazers. 
The Dallas is a division leader, so they get the edge in the tiebreaker right now. And they need one win to clinch a play-in series. They need eight wins to clinch a spot in the playoffs. And then that brings us to the Lakers. LeBron James, after their game last night, said, whoever came up with that SHIT, talking about the play-in tournament, needs to be fired. Because the Lakers, as it stands right now, would are in danger of playing in the play-in tournament. The Lakers have lost five out of their last six and haven't won two straight games in over a month. It was all to that stretch there. In a three-way tie, as I mentioned, with number five Dallas and number seven Portland, the Lakers play Portland on Friday with the season series tied at one-to-one, and the game will, game will decide the head-to-head tiebreaker and could very well determine who has to go through the play-in tournament, which team has to go through. They do have LeBron and Anthony Davis back, but they're going to need to start winning some games down the stretch. Number eight seed, seven seed, excuse me, is the Blazers. They're in a three-way tie. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum have been playing excellent basketball. Yesterday, C.J. McCollum had 33 points, five rebounds, five assists in their win. The Blazers and Lakers have a huge game on Friday. It will be the final time for the season, and the winner will have that head-to-head tiebreaker. Eight seeds, Memphis. Uh, They... Memphis is 1-1 against the Warriors this season. They also have a one-loss lead over San Antonio. They have the tiebreaker. The lead is effectively two games over the Warriors in San Antonio. And the last two teams in the playoff picture in the West are 9-10, the Warriors and the Spurs. So in the Eastern Conference, it's kind of chalk. The Sixers are 1, the Nets are 2, the Bucks are 3, and the Knicks are 4. How about the Knicks? They have a two-loss lead over the Hawks. They are a pretty safe lead. I think the Knicks will be the five seed in the playoffs. They are they already clinched a spot in the playing tournament. How about them Knicks? They have the same record as the Los Angeles Lakers. If I would have told you that before the season, you would have called me crazy. Five seeds Atlanta Hawks, six seed Miami Heat, seven seed Boston Celtics, eight seed Charlotte Hornets, nine seed Indiana Pacers, ten seed Washington Wizards. And yeah, that is what's going on around the NBA. LeBron and the Lakers need to figure it out. And if they don't, we could be looking at the Lakers playing potentially the Warriors in the play-in tournament. MLB. Let's go to the MLB and let's talk first about, we'll talk about Francisco Lindor. Because I want to talk about Francisco Lindor. Because Francisco Lindor, even though he's signed the third richest contract in MLB history, he's not having the best time right now with the New York Mets. Francisco Lindor right now, so far for this season for the New York Mets, is hitting 171, one home run, three RBIs, an on-base percentage of 289. Yesterday struck out with the bases loaded, almost cost the almost cost the Mets the game yesterday, and Lindor is just looks lost at the plate. And to be honest, Lindor has not had uh, a great hitting streak has not been seeing well at the plate since the second half of 2019 with Cleveland. New York can be a tough crowd. New York can be a tough crowd. They they booed Derek Jeter, they booed Mike Piazza, and now they booed Francisco Lindor, who technically is in good company. And you've already learned that you're a long way from Cleveland. 10-year, $341 million extension, it took less than four weeks before the fans at City Field booed him. It's time to start producing, is what they told Lindor. And he has not been able to produce. He is off to a slow start. The big contract and the big expectations 
his start is the most visible for what? His, his uh, slow start is the most visible slow start for the Mets. Can he turn it around? Can Francisco Lindor turn it around? I don't know. It's not a sure thing. It's not a sure thing. I don't think Lindor will ever return to the 288 batting average, 34 home runs that he had in the peak of his powers from 2015 to 2019, but maybe he'll rediscover some of it. He wants to produce. He was a 5-2 player, 5 tool player in the past, but he hasn't produced since the second half of 2019. This year, he has the challenge of adapting to a new team, a new league, and new expectations, but he hasn't produced. He's walked more often and struck out less frequently. But what stands out is that he isn't striking the ball with the same level of authority. In 2019, his average velocity, his average exit velocity was 91 miles per hour. This year in 2021, it's 88.3 miles per hour. And that's the, and he's hitting the ball on the ground the most in his career since his rookie season. Some metrics aligned to create a two-season picture for Lindor and that he can turn it around, but some say that he won't. If Lindor got off to this sort of st- start with any other with uh the Yankees, he might not even be in the major leagues right now, but he is he <laughs> in all honesty, the Yankees make you produce. The Mets are a little bit more lenient, but Lindor has been just atrocious to watch for the New York Mets. And as a Cleveland Indians fan, I part of me feels bad for the guy that gave so much to the city of Cleveland in his time here, but part of me is like, dude, you're the one who wanted to leave. You were great here. And if you look at it, Lindor, this is another interesting stat of Lindor's career. Lindor in his career, when he hits at progressive field. So in progressive field in Cleveland, in, pro- in progressive field in Cleveland, Lindor, his batting average was 304. Everywhere else, his career batting average is 262. So he hit well in Cleveland's ballpark. And he's not going to get to play in Cleveland's ballpark much anymore. He's playing against a hard-throwing division with the likes of J- uh, with the likes of Max Scherzer, Max Fried, and all those guys from Atlanta, New York, uh, not New York, uh, Washington, Steven Strasburg. He has to pl- he has to play against some hard-throwing pitchers, and he hasn't adjusted. He has not adjusted. He hasn't made the necessary adjustments he's needed to make to produce. For the New York Mets. And if I'm a Mets fan, I'd be very, very worried about your shortstop of the future. Because he hasn't produced since 2019. He admitted last season he didn't work as hard in the weight room. And he had a career-worst batting average last season in the shortened season. But Lindor has not played well. But the Mets still find themselves in first place. Uh, They're 500 right now. As are the Cleveland Indians. And the Cleveland Indians are the team I want to talk about next. Because Shane Bieber is off to a historic start. Shane Bieber struck out 11 guys on Friday night against the Chicago White Sox. And Shane Bieber now owns the MLB record for most consecutive starts with eight or more strikeouts. Another guy Indians fans should be excited about, Jose Ramirez. Jose is back to his MVP form. He is hitting 280 with eight home runs and 19 RBIs. He had a big, two big home runs this weekend against the Chicago White Sox. And in his last 162 games, he has 40 home runs and 44 doubles. That is pretty, pretty darn good. Elsewhere in the MLB, I mentioned last week that the Dodgers were on top of the major leagues. But as of right now, the Dodgers are in a little bit of a skid. They kind of broke out of it yesterday in Milwaukee. But before that, they were losers of 7 of 10. And they they found themselves in a little bit of a slump. 
trying to get the MLB standings up here. But back to the Cleveland Indians. Uh, they they have a dominant back end of the bullpen. Uh, Brian Shaw, Emmanuel Clase, their closer, and James Karinchak, their setup man. Those three guys, they pitched about 40 combined innings this season, and they've given up one collective run. They are a dominant back end of the bullpen. It, and it, it, the reason Cleveland, I think, is still in playoff contention, the reason is because that back end of the bullpen and your dominant starter in Shane Bieber. Zach Plezak looks like he's getting it back a little. Aaron Savali is 4-0. If they can get two more uh, good starters, their pitching is going to be unstoppable. And their starters are only going to need to make it a six-inning game. And if they can do that and get it to 7-8-9, Shaw, Kieran, Shaq, and Classe, it's game over for, for the opposition. And that's why Cleveland, I think, could be a contender. They do need some more hitting. Um, I don't know what who who is out there, but besides Jose Ramirez and Franmeo Reyes, they don't really have star hitters, and they don't have hitters who consistently produce. And they need one or two more hitters to really vault themselves into a wide-open AL Central contention. Big series for Cleveland tonight. Tonight in Kansas City, the first place Royals, a four-game series. If Cleveland could sweep the Royals, they will be in first place. So we'll see how that goes. In the AL East, the Red Sox are in first place. They had a 17 and 10 April. They're 17 and 12 overall right now. And the Blue Jays are 14 and 12. They're in second place. And the Yankees, we wrote the Yankees uh, obituary a couple weeks ago, but they're sitting there at 500 right now. In the American League Central, it's been the Royals and the White Sox. Setting the pace, the Royals are 16 and 10, the White Sox are 15 and 12, and Cleveland is 13 and 13, sitting there on the outside looking in the AL Central. But all three of those teams I could see winning the division. The Twins, I could see them winning it too, but they just need to turn it around. They're off to a dreadful 10 and 16 start. And in the American League West, the A's, and how about the Mariners? The surprise Mariners. The Mariners are 16 and 13. The A's are 17 and 12. And they're also followed by the Astros at 15 and 13. But back to the Dodgers, who I mentioned were, were who were slumping. The Dodgers are 3 and 7 in their last 10 games, and they find themselves in second place in the National League West behind the Giants. They lost 3 of 4 to the Brewers this weekend. The Brewers have the best record no, the, in the National League Central. And I don't know. This Dodgers team, when they struggle, it seems like they can't do anything to break out of it. So we'll see what happens there. In the National League East, I mentioned the Nationals and the Mets are both tied for first. They're 500. The Nationals are 12 and 12. The Mets are 11 and 11. That division's wide open. I expect the Braves and the Phillies to be better than they have been, especially with Bryce Harper off to a hot start, Freddie Freeman off to a hot start. Those two teams should turn around. And in the National League Central, the Brewers are on top. The Cardinals are right behind the Brewers, one game behind them. And the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres, and Diamondbacks have a winning record in the National League West. That brings me to our last couple segments of the show. The best thing I saw this weekend is our first one, and then our next one is the Joe Code of the Week. So let's get to the best thing I saw this weekend. The best thing I saw this weekend was a Twitter thread by the Arizona Diamondbacks. And it was one of the most one of the funniest things I've ever seen on this website. So here it was. So this this uh, YouTuber named uh, on Twitter at Buck Army tweeted, "Hey Diamondbacks, my roommate is on a date six rows above home plate. Any chance we could tell the cameraman to zoom out a bit so I can see how it's going?" Arizona Diamondbacks then responded. You'll probably have better luck with the TV crew at Bally Sports Arizona. 
Buck Buck Army then responded, D-backs heroes, hey, Bali Sports Arizona, any chance? The Diamondbacks then responded, what's he wearing? Now we're curious. Buck Army replied, he's wearing a red Diamondback spring training shirt, and I think the girl is wearing green. I really hope he didn't lie about his seats. Arizona Diamondbacks responded, I hate to break it to you, but we can't find your friend. Buck Army responded, can we try M section F? Red shirt with a girl wearing green. Third base side. And the Arizona Diamondbacks responded with a gift that said, Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> and then Buck Army tweeted, Go on. And the Arizona Diamondbacks tweeted, Body language looks good. They seem comfortable. They just laugh too. Stay tuned for more. Buck Army tweeted, I love you guys. And then Arizona Diamondbacks tweeted, Uh-oh, they're getting up. So we're losing eyes on the subject. And then Bally, Bally Sports Arizona, the a Diamondbacks uh, network television affiliate, tweeted, We're invested in this now. Keep the updates coming. The Diamondbacks tweeted, They're back, in all caps. Arizona Diamondbacks tweeted, Do they know? They're laughing at something on his phone. Then Buck Army re- 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 <laughs> re- uh, replied with a screenshot, it w- and it was from his friend on the date, and it said, Haha, you're an a-hole. <laughs> but it keeps going. They, then the Diamondbacks put them on the Jumbotron. <laughs> the Diamondbacks put them on the Jumbotron. And after the game, they tweeted a picture of them. And it said, the question we all need to know the answer to, will there be a third date? And it was a picture of the couple who had both been given baseballs by the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the guy who was on the date said, I can't confirm there will be a third date. May need to talk to my roommate about boundaries going forward. But in all seriousness, thank you guys for giving us an incredible night. D-backs will forever have my heart. And that is the story of how a, a nosy roommate a baseball team, and a television sports network brought love together in the Arizona summer. That's the best thing I've seen this weekend, and that was one of the funniest things that I have seen this weekend. So let's think of my joke goat of the week. Uh, There are a lot of options for the joke goat of the week. I'm trying to think of a good one right now, someone who I could justify as the joke goat of the week let's see you know what how about my joke goat of the week will be let's see let's see i don't know i'm trying to figure one out who's both who had a good performance maybe or who is who was an inspiring story and let's see if we can find one of those uh let's see I'm still looking. <laughs> Sorry for this delay. Uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode. But let's find our joke goat of the week. Still looking, still looking, still looking. Um, how about we do Derek Rose? Derek Rose is our joke goat of the week. On this day... In 2011, Derrick Rose won the regular season MVP award at the age of 22, becoming the youngest player in history to receive the award. Received the award after collecting 113 out of 120 possible first place votes. Derrick Rose seemed to destined for greatness 10 years ago when he won this award, but his uh, career took a different turn with injuries left and right. But now he's back in a playoff team as their starting point guard. He's back with Tom Thibodeau 
and he's leading the New York Knicks to the fourth best record in the Eastern Conference and to the playoffs. Shout out D. Rose, forever a legend. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Follow the podcast on Instagram at JoteSportsPod. Keep up with me on Twitter at JackBurneyTV. And I hope to be back next week with another award-winning episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next week, stay safe, stay thirsty, my friends, and have a great, great week. Catch you on the flip side.